Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's uh, Roxanne Durhodge again. Thank you so much for tuning in yet again this week uh, to uh, listen to Authentic Living with Roxanne. Today I have uh, a woman that I built connection with across, I think, um, a room, I would think. <laughs> we were recently uh, at an event together in Florida, uh -huh. and uh, we just uh, we, we got along um even though we spent limited times together, we, we had a connection and I wanted Erin to come in and speak to you. Uh, so my guest today is Erin O'Malley. So Erin, thanks so much uh, for coming on and spending some time with us today. It's my pleasure. I'm so excited to spend time with you, Roxanne. <laughs> so I'm going to uh, tell uh, everyone a little bit about you, a bit about your bio. Obviously, um, you're a keynote, keynote speaker and facilitator. You work with leadership and teams. And what you do is you help the unlock the power of a human connection and uh, your career started um, about it first 10 years I believe in hospitality um, another interesting things it was that you spent two years in Panama in the Peace Corps as a volunteer that sounds interesting I'd love to hear more about that and you've worked over eight years consulting with uh, huge companies like Delta um, and BMW Aaron believes uh, a big believer in having everyone has a story, which is not the case. So true. And her gift is to get the truth out of their stories in order to facilitate better connection. Um, so what, what a nice, uh, nice way to have people connect, but I'm sure at times it's not, it's not so easy. Aaron. Right. Exactly. I think um, it's interesting. It's not, in some ways, it's, yeah, it's not, hard but it's not easy and i think a lot of what i help people talk about and discover is the foundation so to skip ahead a little bit i think a lot of times people think leadership problems and customer experience problems and engagement problems we tend to make them into these big things and when i go and work with companies it's oh this and this and this and a lot of times i just say whoa let's take a step back and what's really going on and starting and this is what this is why i talk about what i talk about now because i feel like in all my experience from my restaurant management days to my time in the peace corps to my leadership development consulting facilitation days walking out the door these are the things that always came up right they're not empathizing they're not being curious they're not listening and they're not using their words it's like a two-year-old right like they're not communicating and those, when the foundation isn't there, that's when the little things turn into big things. So there's a quick overview of, of my, what I think about connection. Um, I think to fill in my bio, one thing I always like to mention is that I grew up in New Jersey and I'm a Jersey girl. And while I didn't <laughs> used to embrace that, now I fully embrace it because I feel like sometimes what, you know, what they say about, well, not everything they say about Jersey girls, but some of what they say about Jersey girls with our attitude and our feistiness is, is true. So I like to... 
that's my little like disclaimer. So when I, if I start to get a little bit feisty, now you know why, Roxanne. So hence why the connection. So I, because I like feistiness also. So so hence the connection in Florida. So this is what I'm curious about because I know from working with companies for a lot of years, um, companies have obviously boards. They have you know, ROIs quarterly or annually that they need to meet, leadership teams, senior, senior executive teams, and the front line. So you can work with leadership or you have worked with leadership, but you've also worked with front line or you'll go from the macro or the huge all the way down to the front line when you work with an organization. Give right. me examples of what, of some of the companies that you work with that you've seen them do, do it really well and the ones that are, kind of seem to trip up or have to go through a learning curve about um, if it's leadership to frontline or frontline to leadership. Some, you know, good, some good things that you've seen and some maybe some not so good things and, and some of the things that maybe people that are listening that are in companies um, could learn from some of these examples, from these examples. Right. I think one of the most, this is, one of the most exciting things when I work with people, and then one of the things when I walk out the door, it's like a punch in the gut. When I work with the frontline people, um, working with them about connection, a lot of work that I do too is when, um, when things go wrong. And it's, there's two different ways to look at that too. I think a lot of the principles, of the, if they are applying those principles, initially it's gonna help things not go wrong. Anyway, when I work with online people, when I walk out the door and they say, Erin, this is so great and I learned so much and I want to use this, but what about my manager? And that's, I think, one of the biggest challenges is when the leadership team doesn't get behind the training and doesn't participate in the training because that's when they're getting two different messages. So I think while it's, I mean, it's a fairly obvious thing, of course, if you don't know, but it's when, it's when they walk out the door and they say, Aaron, my managers or my leaders, Aaron, you're telling me to be nice to my customers. But when I walk in the door, my leadership, they don't ask me how I'm doing. They don't listen to me. They don't talk to me. So I think in that respect, the organizations that I've worked with that have really embraced getting the leadership team involved and participating, those are the ones that see the most success. And even though sometimes, too, the leadership will come in kicking and screaming or, eh, I don't know it, I think this is one of my, one of the things that I love to do and one of the things I'm good at, being a connector, is that I get through, I can see what's really going on, right? So the leadership team, I think, and this is why I think connection breaks down a lot, like I mentioned earlier. We think it's something else, but it's really like, hey, did you even know that this is what's happening with your team? Did you know that this is what's going on with them? And half the time, I think the leadership is too afraid, too unprepared, too untrained. There's a lot of different reasons why they don't engage with their teams, which leads to the bigger, which leads to the breakdowns. So in answer to your question, I think when people learn the skills that I teach and when they see the impact that it can have, that's the most amazing part. And it's making sure that the leadership gets involved too. Um, that's, that's when the consistency happens, right? Mm -hmm. So really, um, sometimes when I've worked with companies, they say, make it look pretty, use whatever gloss and powder you need to, to kind of <laughs> have it go away, which we know doesn't create short long-term change. 
it maybe right. creates a little bit of rah-rah and you know people go along for a bit and then there's other companies that say go in there and you got to get the, to the root of the dandelion right yeah. you got to start and you got to dig deep and you really got to yes we have to we have investors and we have boards to report to but we really really want to know what's going on so that we can make a change when you're working with an executive team for instance and let's say you have some leaders that think i'm a leader i tell people what to do and you have other leaders that are vulnerable and available and you know, say, no, 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 people help me lead because they give me information. So you have two completely or potentially diametrically opposed kind of leadership styles in an executive team that you're, you're called in to work with. So tell me, tell me how you approach something like that. One of my favorite exercises I do, I think gets to the heart of how to deal with that. Um, and one of my favorite exercises I do is the tell me something you don't know by looking at you activity. And it's a way to, I mean, I, I have people write down on a card, something that we can't tell by looking at them, keeping it, keeping it clean and things that, you know, I don't need, I, I need, I don't, I don't need to need all your dirty details, but, and, and it's a cool activity that I do with, with executive teams because as then we go, I gather the cards and then I'll read it off and say, you know, this person rides Harley Davidson motorcycles and it's always, and I have them guess who's who. And I mean, it's depending on, depending on how long teams work with each other. But what's interesting is that even with teams that have worked with each other for a long time, half the time they're like, I had no idea. I had no idea. So finding that common ground, I think helps start off the conversation and getting them all to buy in that if you have that leader, like you were saying, that's like, eh, I'm good, I know it all. And then the guy who's more, I'll, I'll say guy, because I've worked, I worked a lot with the automotive industry. Yes. There's lots, lots of interesting egos. Well, they're mm -hmm. not interesting egos. They're large egos. Egos involved and a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of guys that I think they learn how to lead by watching people that don't know how to lead. So I think it's, it's that fine line, and I'm sure you do this in your work, right? Of subtly, like you said, getting to the root of it, but not in a way that's like you are so in left field, you don't even understand what's happening. Right, right, right. So it's, it's holding that mirror up to them and giving them feedback to be able to say, hey, this is how you're coming across, or perhaps these are different ways of looking at it. And I think the big thing that I always do as well is, because what's the end game? Like one of my favorite questions that sometimes I ask out loud and sometimes I ask more subtly is like, how is this working out for you, right? You had me here for a reason, things aren't going well, so how can you look at this with a new set of eyes and a new perspective? And I think once you tap into that, I think it's tapping into those guys that think they know it all, working their egos a little bit, but then, letting them be more open to hearing the perspective of other people. And I think that's a big piece of connection too, right? Being curious, what are other people's perspectives? How, how can we bridge them together? Absolutely. Right. And it takes time sometimes. I'm sure like uh, if you're in a consulting situation and you know, they say, well, it should take, you know, a day or two and we should be good. And sometimes, you know, it's just, that's just the, you know, uh, the aperitif before you get into things where people, 
actually it takes a while before people can disarm themselves if they've always led a certain way also you know too to be able right. to and you're not you're not going directly at them if you know that maybe their teams are saying, well, they're autocratic, they put me down, they don't say hello, they never talk to me other than when something is missing in a document, those types of things. And they go, oh, oh, I'm just trying to get things done because we have things to get done. But to your point, you have to do it in such a way that allows that person to say, well, I guess, you know, when I am overwhelmed, I, you know, I'm, I'm short sentences and I'm like to the point and those types of things to highlight those things in a non-challenging kind of way becomes something that uh, takes time sometimes, especially with someone that has been leading a certain way for such a long time. Would you agree? Right. Totally. And two points on that. And this is a lesson that I learn every time because I go in and I want a fixer. Right. And I'm like, I, I think I, I've, I can see, I go in and I'm like, Oh my gosh, here's, here's the things that we need to take care of right away. And I need to remind myself what you just said. It takes time. And I think people have been doing things, most of them have been doing things a certain way. And I'm curious with your work, I feel like there's a, a feedback, a feed, an epidemic of lack of feedback, right? So people have been doing things and no one, they've been doing it how they think they know. And I'll say, we'll go with the fact that I'll, I'll be kind and say that they're probably doing it with the best intention. But if no one's saying to them, Hey, you know what, Joe, when you talk to me like that, you kind of make me feel like crap, right? Or, hey, when you do it this way, this is what's happening to me. So there's, I think there's a void of feedback. So people don't know. And do they want to know? Do they not want to know? And if I'm not doing it right, who's going to help me do it better? So you can see, right? This is the spin and the cycle that it goes in. And it's real easy to keep going in the wrong path unless we are willing to stop for a second and say, hey, what can I, what can I do to be better? Um, and it's hard. I mean, I think sometimes, I mean, I'm always looking for feedback. I'm like, tell me what I can do better, but that's my personality. But I think done sometimes when I hear it, I will be the first to be like, no, that's not, that's not right. <laughs> I don't agree that's, with that's that. Not me. That's not, no, I'm much better than that. But I think, so it's, it's a, and I know you talk about this a lot on your podcast about vulnerability, right? And it's being able to say, Hey, maybe I can learn and maybe I can do it better. But I think when you talk about, and this is one thing I do too. I ask a lot, you know, again, how is this working out for you? How is this making you feel? And I do a lot of activities to tap into when the good things are happening, right? Not that everything's always sunshine and rainbows, but I tend to be more of a sunshine and rainbows type person to make them say, hey, when you make these little adjustments, this is the new way things can work out. Um, and I, I just made me think, I always start my talks, I put a big, like, a big greater than sign on a flip chart and I put in possibility, positivity, and why not? And I say, this is the world that we're living in today. And we try and get rid of the, yeah, buts or no, we're already doing that or it's never going to work. So I try and keep them focused in on, instead of saying why, why not? Why not try something new? Why not do it this way? So that's kind of the intention I set with all my groups to start to try and get a, living in that world. So I'll give you an example. I was um, uh, talking to a friend and um, he's a, on a pretty senior team. And um, what happened is, you see, everybody was afraid to give the CEO real feedback. Right? right. So these are intelligent people. And um, what happened is they did a survey you know, one of those surveys that sometimes different 360s or whatever, different types. 
And within this organization, they did a survey. And everybody on the senior executive team rated the CEO as the best. Even though he was a poor communicator, he had vision, he was charismatic, you know, those types of things. But he, he just was poor at communicating with them and putting them under a lot of pressure um, in ways that really made a lot of people, they were basically dropping off, right? Getting sick, um, you know, taking extended leaves, a lot of sick days, those types of things, or working to the point where they shouldn't be at work when they should be at home kind of taking care of themselves. So again, that's an interesting thing, right? When I hear this, I'm like, my goodness, here it is. People are so overwhelmed structurally by an organization that they aren't able to feed up the truth. Right. Right. For, so again, you know, obviously with CEOs, you would think that CEOs having in, you and I in to deal with these things, they are aware. But what if you have a CEO um, that calls you in, but you find out this, this negative feedback because it's translating it to the front line, by the way, I should tell you, it's, it's, it's the front lines saying all these things about how it's impacting them. You know, some of the, some of the uh, decisions that get made. Um, and, but the, but the senior executive is not able to kind of go back to the, to the leadership team or the leader and say, this is how it's adversely affecting me. I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sleeping. I'm, I'm not able to be as a productive because I'm, I'm concerned about my position, those types of things. Cause obviously with, you know, we know that in any kind of, um, industry at any given sector a lot of times when I was managing my portfolio and when I was in corporate but 75 25 percent of my of my portfolio was in flux right meaning that there was right sizing downsizing all those types of things so <clears throat> have you ever had situations like that that you've come across or um, have you ever had to walk away from a consulting situation because it was too difficult to be able to make the changes that you were hired to make and I know I'm asking hard questions because I know you can handle them. <laughs> no, I'm like, there's two, I have two examples. Well, okay. you, have, okay. you, asked, you asked two different questions there. Did I have to walk away? Yes. And I will not tell you that story because my Jersey bad language will come out. And it was, I mean, but it was, I mean, but it was a perfect example of someone who, and it was an interesting situation. Their numbers were good. The sales were good. Um, so on paper, it looked like a decent situation. However, turnover was, I mean, a hundred percent, they could not keep anyone there. And you walked into that place, which will remain nameless. You could feel it. I mean, you could feel it. Like it just, it was, it was tense, but it was also just, um, negative and it was just a bad, there was just a bad vibe all around. And there was no willingness by this general manager. There was no willingness to learn. And it, I had a focus group with his team. And one of the things they said was we would like to, we would just like more positive feedback. And I think this is a good example of a few different things. So when I gave that feedback back to them, this is exactly what I said. The team would like to hear some more positive reinforcement. Full stop. And his response was immediately, you don't understand our business. You don't know what you're talking about. They're a bunch of babies and another bad, lot of bad words. And they want this and they want coddled and they want pop. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
And so this is when it comes down to, right? It's, we're not talking about positive feedback anymore. We're talking about what's really happening here. What's your dynamic? And in his mind, there was nothing changed. There was nothing to learn. There was nothing to change. His staff was all a bunch of babies and, and wanted this and wanted that. So I think that was an example. And I tried about three times, three different visits. And finally, it was just one of those. There was no buy-in from him. He didn't understand the importance or see that the way he was impacting and how he was talking to his staff was directly re related to this turnover. So if yeah. there's not an inkling of, hey, what can I learn? What can I do differently? Um, it's real hard to get through. And Lord knows, I mean, and we can, we don't have 17 days to talk about my Peace Corps experiences, but I think that was one of the biggest things with the Peace Corps. You try and you try, like I, I joke that my Peace Corps experience was two years of me banging my head up against the wall with two small victories. But my point is like, I worked all the angles, but sometimes you just have to say, it's not going to go through. And I think another example of what you your question about how sometimes, um, how sometimes the manager might not uh, might not know um, or might not realize what's happening. I had an example with the staff again gave some feedback. It was a great. It was this is such a great scenario. There was two different dealerships, a family dealership. There was one brand under one one in one building, one brand in the other. The one brand did a lot. Was just super busy. Tons of volume big team and the brand brand that I was working with was a smaller was a smaller the smaller they they were they're like we're the redhead stepchild basically they're like we get no respect and I'm like ah come on come on come on well then they tell me that they have their meetings so Saturday morning in the car world is like everyone has their Saturday sales meeting and it's rah rah let's go get them right so they the team that I was working with they're like Aaron we have our sales meetings at the other dealership and I'm like, no, you don't. And they're like, no, 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 we, we have our, so there's eight guys versus 30 guys. The 30 guys normally sell 30, 40 cars a week. My guys maybe sold 15 cars as a team for the week. Mm -hmm. So when I brought this to the manager's attention, the GM's attention, I was like, how, how would you, I mean, when I, the first thought was resistance, right? Come on, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm like, it's basically bringing, the scrawny kids to the bully and being like, Hey bully, here they are. Here's a punching bag. And I, and I say that story because the, his, his, the GM media response was defensive. Like it doesn't matter what, yeah. what it doesn't matter. And then I said to him, we'll just, we'll just call him Joe. Joe, how would you feel? Like, how would you, uh, how would you feel if you were those guys? And I, I'll never forget. Cause I, I watched the, transformation on his face go from kind of puffy and annoyed and like you don't know what again you don't know what you're talking about girl as they do in the car world right <laughs> but all of a sudden when I said imagine you and it was interesting because he was like well I guess you're right and I'm like dude it's not about me being right like I, I, I don't I mean I don't really have a dog in this fight except think about if it's right or wrong this is what your team is experiencing so what all you have to do is have your meeting here. It's, it's not going to cost you anything. Anyway, long story long, as I tend to tell my stories, I went back for my visit a few months later and walking into that place, they, they got their own colored shirts. They were having their meetings at their own dealership. I mean, Roxanne, you could feel the energy shift. 
And so this goes to my point. Sometimes it's just two points, right? It's the little things, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. we're never going to know unless we ask, hey, what is happening? Why are you guys acting this way? We, we want different colored t-shirts. Buy them the damn t-shirts, right? Like, and so I think a lot of times, I mean, it's about the t-shirts, but it's mostly about how are, we, how are you making your employees feel? And going back to your question, as a leader, are you willing to say, hey, you know what? Maybe this, maybe this wasn't the brightest idea. And be willing to say, hey, I wasn't, I wasn't the smartest, and let's move forward to make it better. Um, so again, that element of vulnerability that I am here to learn from you as much as you're willing, you're here to learn from me. And I think that's something that's the conscious leader, someone that says, yeah, I thought about this. And then, you know, Erin came and she talked to me about it. And wow. I hadn't thought about that. That's an amazing idea. So sorry if I missed that guys, let's move right. the page. But I think right. what happens is people get entrenched in their decisions and yes maybe they're not able to step back and say, is this making me look incompetent? Can I handle the fact that my 50 guys might think I made a bad decision? Or is it that I can step into it and go, well, I'm here to learn. I'm a person. You, you have equally as much um, gift in this business to help me run the best business possible. And I think that's what I often see with a lot of leaders that are good. They go, so like, tell me more. You do the filing and you know the system from the calls from the front end to the back end. What do you think could be better? Because you are the expert in that area. And I think um, that's what what you did there was you said, okay, okay, guys, help me understand. And then you fed it back, which luckily for him, he was able to to receive uh, this great information. Right. And do you find with leaders, I don't know how many leaders you've worked with, that a lot of them get promoted into these positions. They were doing a good job doing what they were doing. And now all of a sudden they're in this leadership role. And honestly, Roxanne, I feel like so many of the people in the industries that I've worked with, this is, to me, when I have those conversations and they're, they're trying to do their best, right? Their best intention but they've been, I call it like, you know, the, I don't know if you had them up in Canada, but the whole, from the, the drug commercials, right? Like I learned from watching you, dad. It's like, they've learned from watching these horrible leaders. And so they're just perpetuating it. And so I think that's when it's, it's creating that space to say like, Hey, it's okay. You, you don't know what you, it's okay. You don't know what you're doing, but do you have the willingness to say, Hey guys, I don't really know what I'm doing. And I think a lot of people to me, that's vulnerability, and we can, we can talk more about vulnerability, and I think, I think people these days have a, they think vulnerability is sharing all of their dirty deeds, and like, it's like the vulnerability puke, I'm like, I don't need to know all that, but to me, vulnerability is just saying, hey, I, I, don't, I don't have all the answers, and being willing, and there comes that curiosity, right, curiosity of what do my people know, what can I learn from them? And I think another thing that holds people back from asking that question is that when they think the staff is going to say, oh, we need a swimming pool on the top deck. We need ping pong. We need all this stuff. When really, it's like we need to have our staff meetings in our building. So I think, I think there's the fear of things of when you ask that question, what can we do better, that it's going to be these major things. When in my experience, Roxanne, it's always – it's always the little things that start the, start the, either the spiral up or the spiral down. 
And you know, good point. Like I worked a lot with um, uh, from CEOs all the way down to, to frontline um, when I managed a, um, a portfolio. And one thing that I found that was interesting. So of course, middle management, obviously tough place to be, right? You get promoted mm-hmm. up to your point because maybe I, you know, I, I've been, you know, the top salesperson for the last two years or um, those types of things. And so I'm, I go from being a peer and now I'm a manager, but maybe I wasn't so nice as a peer and now I'm your manager. <laughs> and yeah. how difficult is that? It's a right? big transition. And I, it's one of those, this is one of my other favorite things to ask too is how many times like when I have when I'm working with a bunch of new supervisors or new leaders I say how many of you said when I become a manager I'm never going to be like that person (laughs) and they all start laughing because they're like oh my god I'm that guy now and and I think it's and it's an interesting it's and this is one of my favorite one of my favorite conversations to have with these new managers because you come and in and it's human nature, right? You get the promotion and now you have that title. So you're going to puff your shoulders out a little bit. But I think, and it swings. So it'll swing that way. And then it swings back to the other way. And like, oh, how can I be friends with people? But I can't be friends with people. Can I be friends with people? And I think this goes back to one of the, again, the components of connection. Are you really listening to people? Are you communicating with them fairly? Are you being consistent? And it's an adjustment to be clear, but I think those people, when they realize, when they look and say, okay, why, what didn't you want to do that are, that you are doing? I think a lot of times they're doing it because they haven't, they haven't learned how not to do it. Right. They don't have, have or or they haven't thought it through too. Like, let's say, let's say I had a lot of conflict with my frontline peers, but I'm the top achiever, let's say, or I'm, you know, whatever you, you, you in, in managing, a management decision is to decide is that person or is Roxanne the best fit for that management position too, because it may be that it may be helping the bottom line. However, if she's created, if I've created a lot of chaos amongst my peers and now I'm leading the team, I'm not so sure how that's going to help the bottom line in the long run. Exactly. So sometimes being more aware um, about who you're hiring. Um, if you're hiring, are you thinking it's through strategically? Are you thinking of your teams? Right. And if, if there is any kind of um, altercations or situations that have developed, have you cleared the air and do it in a way that allows this person to, to ascend into management um, that allows them to be accepted? Right. Because sometimes it's, 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 so it's, it becomes very strategic versus, oh yeah, bottom line, good, gets a lot of things done, position available. All right, good. Next quarter they're in. Right. Right. How are we helping them transition into the new roles and responsibilities? Cause it is a shift. I mean, there's new, there's new, there's different ways to lead. There's new responsibilities. It's, it's a different dynamic with your team. Even if you are friends with people. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's always interesting to me to see how that plays out. Do you find that there's a lot of, like you talked a little, a little bit about from the Peace Corps to, you know, working with Delta or BMW. Do you think that they're based on sector that the, the need for vulnerability shows itself in a different way to create connection? No, I think, 
this is what's so interesting, Roxanne. Again, that, I mean, my first 10 years was in restaurant management. Then I said, when I turned 30, I'm not doing this nonsense anymore. And I turned 30 and I was still doing that nonsense. So I read a lot of health self-help books. I went for long walks on the beach. And then I found myself in Panama for two years as a Peace Corps volunteer. And then, yeah, I mean, I've worked with automotive, with airlines, with rental car, with nonprofits. And this is why I'm so passionate, excited, like want to just scream this message because I feel like the things that I found when it came, when it comes to building teams or building leaders across all of these different places I've been and different industries I've worked with, this is what's so interesting to me that it kind of always comes back to the same thing. And I think vulnerability and trust is one of those things. And I remember I, an example from the Peace Corps. So I was on this island of 300 people off the coast of Panama. No water, no electricity, no toilets, super exciting. And I was working with a tourism group. And I remember, and it was about a year in that I was working with this group. And I remember talking to, I was standing in, in the town. I mean, the quote unquote town. It was not a town. I was standing on a sidewalk. And I was talking with a group of people in the tourism group. And all of a sudden I looked around and I thought, because we were having a lot, of, a lot of challenges getting things done. And all of a sudden I looked around and I realized at that point, so it's a small town, 300, small village, 300 people. Most of the, the main source of income was fishing. So these guys would go off fishing for a week and come back. And I'm not kidding. The boat would sail away. The women would move into the different men's houses. Like everyone was cheating on everyone because what else are you going to do on this island, right? So I was sitting there having this conversation. I'm looking around and I'm like, wait a second. You're married to her, but I know that you were sleeping with her last week. And he was, and all of a sudden I'm looking, I'm like, no wonder this group can't get anything done. There is zero trust here. Like there is zero trust. And I think, I mean, that was one example of me saying, right, I'm trying to go this way, but we got to get to the root of some basic common ground here. Yes, How yes. do we get to this, this trust? And I think, uh, you know, I think about working with Delta. It was interesting with them and it goes to the stories, right? My line of like, everyone's got a story and everyone's got a story about everyone's story. And the people in Panama, they all have stories about each other. My work with Delta, what was so interesting with them, the story they had about their customers, the you know, the dreaded millennials. And it was so great because in working with them, there would always be someone, uh, an employee at a, or a flight attendant that would stand up and be like, hey, my kid's a millennial. Yeah, I've got to text her to talk to her, but these are our customers. So we need to get rid of all this angst that we have about them and figure out how to embrace them. And so in answer to your question, I think there's that vulnerability of being able to say, things are changing, things are different. How can I let down my stories about people, my experiences, my worldview, and have that curiosity? Again, there is that word again. How can I be curious about what that person is going through? How can I be curious about what I can do in owning my own attitude, my own self, to be able to connect with this person? And it's just that to me what the themes that run through, right? Building trust, being honest with ourselves, with each other, being able to be like, hey, I'm not perfect or I did this wrong, but I w I'm ready to move forward. Um, so those are some of the themes I see in, in a lot of the, in all the work that I've done with all the- So really, really, the themes are the same. The sectors might yeah. be different. If you have like, uh, you know, uh, 
you know, Peace Corps versus, um, you know, uh, an airline versus a predominantly male environment. Obviously, there'd be certain dynamics, so it would be different. But at the end right. of the day, we're all human beings. And you said something really interesting, because I know millennials get a, you know, they get a tough go. But really, if that's what your customer, if your core customer base that's growing is a millennial, and you really need to get to understand them. Right. If that's going target market or, you know, if if whatever target market it is, and if you don't have your customer figured out and your management doesn't have their dynamics figured out and they have all these assumptions about what a millennial is. I've met some of the most amazing millennials in my life and, you know, and to, to, to stereotype them overall. Good point. But that's, and it was one of my favorite sessions I had with them. I asked, because one, you know, they're entitled. Someone would always say it. It was like clockwork. I would ask the question and they'd say, they all walk around with their earbuds in, you know, they're all entitled. And then I would say, well, what, what, what do you mean by entitled? And it was, you know, they expect this sort of food. They expect us to be on this time. They expect everything to be in technology. And I'm like, so when you travel, when you travel, you know, what, what do you expect? this kind of food, this technology. I'm like, you all want the same thing. But it really, it, to your point, they had just built it up because it was almost like, and I've got my, my, my completely unscientific Roxanne yet based on my you know, lack of any sort of research, except for the people I've worked with. I've got my five, my five percenter rule, right? Mm-hmm. 5% of the people are going to be raging jerks and they're going to wake up every day and choose to have a bad attitude and choose to be an idiot, right? Right, right. And what we tend to focus on are the five percenters. So I'm always like, let's acknowledge the five percenters exist. We'll wish them well. And then let's focus on the 95% of the people that aren't the raging assholes, right? So let's focus on them. And I think it's almost giving, I feel like a lot of what I do, Roxanne, is giving permission, people permission to just be kind, right? To say, hey, there's some jerky people. And I always I always kick the 1994 Stephen Covey theory of see, do, get. Like what you see is what you do is what you get. And I tell stories in my restaurant days when the server would come up and say, oh my God, those people are going to be horrible tippers. And I'm like, here we go, right? And I would watch them go up, not offer specials, not refill their drinks, not offer dessert, not pre-bust their tables. And then the people would leave and they'd come up and be like, see her. And I told you, I'm like, I wouldn't have tipped you. I would have yelled at the manager, right? So when you, it's like, when you see suck, you get suck. And I think when, and going back to the Delta people with their earbuds, and of course, as I know everyone can't see me, but I've got my little earbuds in right now. I know. I thought that. I thought, oh, she's pulling a millennial. (laughs) Not that I'm a millennial, but what I would say to them is always, hey, maybe they're talking. And I think about me traveling, right? I'm like, maybe they're listening to a podcast. Maybe they're talking to their husband because they haven't had a chance to do it. I also am obsessed with Amos Lee. I don't know if you know the singer, but like maybe they're listening to Amos Lee. Like maybe they're not, it's not, a, it's not an affront to you. They're maybe, or what I do half the time when I'm traveling, I've got my earbuds in Roxanne, but I'm not even, I don't even have anything on. I just don't want to, sometimes, even though I'm all about connections, sometimes I'm not about talking. Well, sometimes to you want to be off, right? I know when I travel right. sometimes and if I've worked all the time, I don't want to talk. And it's right. not that I'm, I, and I love people, but sometimes I'm just, I'm spent and I just want to be able to, or I want to listen to a podcast or something like that. Right. But I think that probably what you're talking about is just the difference of millennials compared to um, my, my um, generation um, is that 
when we got our first jobs, we did what we were expected and we didn't ask questions and we just said, you're the boss, you're the big boss, I'll just do it, I'll do it to 150% and I'll stay late and this, that and the other. And they're right. setting a different position to say, I wanna love what I do, yeah. but I'm not gonna sacrifice my life for work. So that's a completely diametrically opposed uh, positioning to me, um, you know, my, my generation, I know you're a bit younger than me, other than when I got my first, the last thing I was going to do was to stand up, even, even though, you know, I was in a professional organization, I was there and you deferred to leadership as being the be all to end all. And you wouldn't challenge really very often until you got further along. And now they're coming in they're saying, well, no, I, these are the things that I value. You know, work-life balance is important. I, I want to enjoy what I'm doing. So if you think about it, I think their values that they're bringing forward are teaching people like um, my generation. It probably overwhelms people, but it also teaching us the things that we waited for, for years and years right. to be able to stand up for. They're in their 20s and they're 25 and they're standing up for it now saying, hold up, I'm not going to, you know, work uh, seminar weeks. Um, even though I haven't seen my young baby, I'm going to be able to go home and I'm going to alter that so you can keep that perk because I'm, that perk is less important to me than maybe that experience with my child or maybe a vacation, those types of things. So it's, again, different worldviews. You said that earlier that are maybe the, the, you know, the butt that people run into. They butt up against each other. And instead of fighting it, why not? Why not just going back to it? Hey, what's going to work for you? And not that that's a, that, not that that's a, a blank check, but what does matter to you? How can we make it work? And I think a lot of it goes back to what I keep saying, right? We've all learned by watching each other. So for us and for, you know, non-millennial generation, they're like, hey, I paid my dues for 20 years. You're going to do it the same. Why? Like, why? why not do it differently, right? There goes back to that, why not? What is the harm of actually having people being driven by their values? Like, is that a bad thing, you know? So I think, I think we get caught up in it and I think we sometimes make it harder than it needs to be by asking the questions, being willing to change up and take different actions and not just going through the motions. Um, but with all of the busyness and times as they are today, it's hard not to it's hard not to, to just go through the motions and just do the best that we can. So I think that's one of my things too, to slow down, to just realize the impact of being open, looking for the possibilities, looking for different ways to connect on that human level. The impact that that can have by starting, finishing where we started, right? Going back to the fundamental, the foundational things of listening, of owning our attitudes, of taking action and and talking about leadership, I mean, in my opinion, I feel like everyone's a leader. And I always say this to my frontline people. If you are waiting for your leader or manager to inspire you every day, to motivate you every day, like that would be, that would be amazing. But guess what? Like, guess, and this is something I learned on that island, Roxanne, like the only person that you're ever going to have with you all the time is you, right? So you better own yourself, own your own leadership. What are you bringing to the table? Stop waiting for other people Stop waiting for your leader to be your leader and own, own your own shit, right? Lead yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So own your own leadership. That's your quote that right there, because really to your right, you know, we can only take responsibility for our actions 
and we can always learn. I often say sometimes my, my biggest teachers are sometimes the smallest people or the people that I don't think that I'm going to get the lessons from. It's not the big coach or, or the person on stage. It's maybe someone that I've met in a line and I, you know, cause I talk to everybody in lines. My son says, mommy, you talk to everybody. And, um, because I'm, and then, you know, again, something I think, wow, that, that's, that's an inch, maybe not have been the way that I would think truly Aaron, but sometimes people give you so much information and, and they teach you so many things but it may not be packaged in a way that you're thinking, oh, I'm in a learning situation right now, right? right. It's already about being human, being kind, and being gentle. And yes, we are all way too busy and need to slow down, but to recognize that sometimes kindness is just as, as, as small as when you see someone raising your head, stopping what you're doing, and looking over and saying, good morning, with a real, true smile. Right. And I, I can't even... And it's... I, and this is one of my favorite things to tell the Delta people too, or when we talk to them and I, and it's true. I'm not making this up. When I get on a plane, it's my favorite thing to do. Roxanne, I smile. Like I, those first class passengers, I had the hugest grin on my face and it's such a fun experiment because a third of the people like, look at me like I'm crazy, rightly so. And then look away. And a third of them just look at me like something's wrong with me. And maybe my math is off, but there's always one or two, like there's normally actually one, maybe two people that smile back. And I'm like, good morning, have a great fight. And they're like, you too. And it just, and it, it just, it's so fun because yeah, most people don't understand like why, what, what's she smiling about? And it just makes, it makes me happy. I mean, two ways. A, I get to connect with someone just for a minute. Also, I like to make people like think that I'm crazy, you know, as a, as a fun aside while traveling, but it just, it makes you smile and it makes yes. you laugh. And, I think, and it just makes your time on that plane a little bit. You know, if you see that person again, you know, you just, yeah, we always, like I'll see him at the baggage claim. We start chatting like it always. And again, imagine, as imagine if we walked into work every day and just said hello to everyone with a smile, right? I mean, and this is people are like, Aaron, how can I help? I mean, I don't want to give away my secrets, but I'm like, walk in and say hello to your people. There's step number one. And so many people, yeah, we've got all these problems. I'm like, here's, here's, here's a quick one. Ask your people. And it never, it never ceases to amaze me, Rock, because I'm like you. I will talk to everyone, right? Oh, tell me about this. And I'll go in and to the leaders and be like, hey, so did you know that this happened to so-and-so? And they're like, I have no idea. How to... They tell you everything. That's my favorite. Aaron, they tell you everything. I'm like, because I asked. I got, it's not like I pump them up with truth serum. Like, I'm just saying, like, hey, what's going on in your life? Like, do you have a family? You just ask yes, a few questions. For sure. And for sure. Again, that's, that's the question. The curiosity, being able to, to listen and just being able to, well, I love what you said about learning. So there's always something to learn from someone, right? As right. long as we're open to it. You never know where that teacher comes from. And sometimes this is the most unlikely ways. So this has been fantastic. I've, I've learned, uh, um, you know, something. And I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to do a quote with this, with your name on and be your own leadership because that's, oh, isn't that, I love it. So I'm going to, I'm going to do a quote and put it up because I think that that's came from you because I think it's so true because we're always waiting for somebody else to show us, to lead, right? So if you can be your own leadership, you're demonstrating, this is how I want the world to see me. And what, you know, yeah. and then you're, you're putting it out there. You're a neon lights. This is who I am. And I think it's a, if we can all be a, our own leader um, out there, wherever we are, we're going to make a difference. Now, Aaron, so tell everyone that's listening, um, this has been fantastic. Where can they get a hold of you when they want to find out more about you? Um, and, uh, you know, if they wanted to coach with you in the future where they could uh, get a hold of you. 
So my website is erinomalleyconnects.com. It's E-R-I-N-O-M-A-L-L-E-Y, connects.com. And then I'm on Instagram, same, Erin O'Malley Connects. So those are the two, those are the two places where you can find me and Instagram is my social media of choice these days. Awesome. And of course, and LinkedIn too. So I'm on LinkedIn as well. So I post a lot of things there as well. Awesome. Awesome. So again, uh, thank you everyone for listening. We've learned some fantastic things. Sometimes uh, the little, the littlest things uh, that we do maybe can impact. So um, I think what I've learned today is you never know. So try to be kind and gentle. Um, and a smile is like a big hug. Um, it's, you know, you never know that maybe they have been the only connection that that person had that day. So if you're wanting more um, from me, it's uh, thank you again for listening to a, uh, Authentic Living with Roxanne. You can go to my website, roxannedurhodge.com forward slash course, where you can sign up for a free course that I have um, uh, to talk a lot more about authenticity. So take care and we will chat with you soon. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxannederhage.com slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.